As summer comes to a close, investors are increasingly wary of growing risks this fall. How do you invest when volatility is expected? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of August 30th, 2021. Oh, my goodness. September is right around the corner. That means that kids are going back or already back in school. I think the leaves will start changing colors soon if they haven't already. And maybe markets are gearing up for some volatility. Ooh, what's that last part, Robert? Something about expected volatility this fall? Surely we're not going to crush our listeners' summer vacations with concerns for after Labor Day. Well, I hate being that guy, but you know, it's an unfortunate truth about seasonal patterns in the investment market, at least on the face of it. Love a good cliffhanger. Say more. Well, investors have a reason to be concerned about volatility in this environment. I think firstly, there's a lot going on that could affect the fundamental picture in the next three months and pose a risk to markets and investor sentiment in the broader economy. There's four that we've identified so far. It's the Delta variant, the Fed's monetary policy, legislation coming in from D.C., and seasonal patterns, which I alluded to earlier. And our analyst, Unbi, looked into those seasonal patterns for us. So we wanted to bring her on the podcast today to discuss what she's found. Those are definitely some relevant topics for the current economic landscape. And it's great to have you back, Unbi. Hello. It's great to be back. All right. Let's jump right into that big list of risks. Yeah, let's start with the Delta variant. All right, I'll let you take that one. Okay. It seems that we just got started off with COVID optimism earlier this year. And then here comes the Delta variant for COVID-19. And it really cast a shadow on the global economic recovery and caused some mobility to stall. Mobility indicators were improving and they stalled out. Our view on this is essentially as such, we expect Delta to slow but not derail the economic recovery. Consumers have really learned to live with the virus and the availability of now FDA-approved vaccines makes a shutdown politically difficult. Restrictions still matter, but we're keeping an eye on monthly data to gauge that impact. Very good points all. And to us, the major warning sign of a prolonged disruption to the economy and the labor market. So basically, if we were wrong and Delta ended up being a more pronounced disruptor to the economy, we'd first expect to see school closures. Wage pressure would be our greatest concern in that case because it could constrain labor supply. I agree with with that one for sure. Next on the list of risks that I named earlier, the second one was Fed policy. Lauren, do you want to take a stab at that? Let us know what you're seeing there. Absolutely. Well, last week, we learned that the Fed is getting closer to tapering its asset purchase program. We expect an announcement likely in November. That's the base case with tapering starting in December or January. Now, historically, slowing the momentum of monetary policy support has contributed to market volatility. And that's what we're looking at here when it comes to tapering asset purchases. That's still going to be out in the market buying these treasury and mortgage-backed securities, but at a slower pace than before. 
This time around, as the Fed starts thinking about tapering, the economic recovery is stronger than it was in previous announcements. And expectations of Fed tapering are more secure, meaning markets know a little bit more about what's going to happen than in previous taper situations. That means the taper could be less pronounced of a risk for markets, and the pace and timing of eventual interest rate hikes may be more important for this cycle. So we don't necessarily expect a lot of volatility related to the announcement. That said, it's an important risk, and there's always room for surprise. An unexpectedly hawkish Fed, so if we see faster tapering or quicker rate hikes in another year or so, that would point to a backup in rates, stronger volatility, and trouble for yield-sensitive equity, which is mostly growth equity. Wow, a lot to unpack there. Towards the end, you got pretty close to the portfolio pause, so I'm going to have to ask you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, then let's go on to our next risk, the last one before we bring Unbi back onto the program, and that was about policy or legislation. Robert, why don't you take us home on that one? Well, why is policy legislation not a risk? Several policy issues are lining up all at once. You have the federal budget negotiations, you have Congress raising the debt ceiling, and you have two infrastructure bills on the table that both need to be passed. That's a lot for our legislators to get done. We expect things to eventually get worked out. They usually do. But there's always a possibility of political brinkmanship. That is certainly always a possibility. You said it. When is it not a risk? Um, let's move now to our fourth risk, which is seasonal factors. And to discuss that, we have Unbi. Unbi, tell us more about your analysis on this topic and the questions you were seeking answers for. Thank you, Lauren. I hate to add to this growing list of risks, but in short, I was trying to answer the question, why is the fall considered the most volatile season for markets? Anecdotally, there are several reasons. Some credit the market participants returning from summer vacations, causing heightened activity. Others attribute market movements to maybe gearing up for elections in November. But is the fall truly the most volatile season? We ran the numbers last week and found some interesting patterns. I'm looking forward to hearing about those patterns. But before we get into them, why don't we backtrack a little bit? And what data were you using in your analysis? When you're thinking about volatility, are you thinking about the equity markets? That's a great question. Yes, equity markets. As a case study, we based our analysis on the S&P 500, tracked back from present day all the way to 1928, which is the earliest data we could get. We started with an initial drawdown analysis, essentially looking for market corrections of greater than 5%. And our findings show that historically, investors experienced 285 drawdowns between 1928 to 2021. And if the S&P 500 corrected, the average magnitude of that correction was around 11%. Those drawdowns lasted an average of 26 trading days, and it took a median of 51 days to fully recover from that correction. I didn't use the average here because the average is skewed higher due to particularly high corrections and low S&P 500 levels between 1928 and 1955. Wow, that's very good information that we just provided our audience. Two big takeaways that I hear from, from that. First is that pullbacks in the market happen. And after a pullback happens, it usually takes some time before the market can get back to its prior high. So just things to keep in mind as we move forward in this discussion. Now, I have a question for you based on that analysis. And be when should we expect another market correction? Well, according to the data, you can expect a market correction about three times a year. That is for corrections that are greater than 5%. Larger corrections tend to be more infrequent, as you would expect. It's a good point. And it's important for investors to identify patterns to get a general sense of market behavior. But how does this all relate to the fall in seasonality? What should we expect moving forward? 
another great question. So in order to look at performance of the S&P 500 by season, we started with a monthly analysis. January had the most corrections historically, actually, closely followed by November and then July. Interesting. That doesn't sound so bad for the fall then. That's true, Robert, and it gets more jumbled from there. We also looked at monthly returns and found September has the lowest historical returns, followed by August and May. Basically, from a monthly analysis, it's unclear whether a particular season is more volatile or has lower returns than the others. However, once we grouped the months by season, it became much more apparent that the fall did, in fact, outpace the other seasons in terms of market corrections. All right, then, Unbi, give it to the listeners straight. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but based on this analysis, are we due for another pullback? The short answer is yes. So far, the last 5% correction was about 200 trading days ago in September of 2020. And the largest pullback of 2021 so far was in March, which was only about negative 4%. Based on the historical patterns, we may be due for another this year. Specifically, November has had a correction once every three years or so, and this year is the due date for its next occurrence. However, and hopefully this makes listeners feel a little better, it is important to note that market corrections are independent events. This means that conclusions are drawn for backwards-looking data and do not necessarily predict future outcomes. Thank you so much for your input, Nambi. This is really interesting. You're very welcome. Now, to tie all of these risks together, Delta, the Fed, policy, seasonality, and put a house view on it, On their own, none of these risks look likely to derail the market. For one, earnings and economic growth are still very strong, which supports risk assets. In addition, these risks are well understood by investors, and we expect they're mostly priced in. That said, when you group the risks together, and of course, coupled with the unprecedented nature of this cycle, we could see more volatility in the coming weeks. We'll be covering these risks in more detail in our upcoming outlook. In short, uh, we're still constructive on the markets moving ahead, but I think we're starting to recommend strategies that are focused more on portfolio resiliency. As Unbi's seasonal factor or seasonal analysis showed, 5% pullbacks, they happen in the market. We talked about that. It's a normal part of investing, but investors may experience more market volatility as the cycle matures and economic and corporate signals become less pronounced as is the case now. a great time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. Now, with all the risks we've discussed so far, how should investors combat those concerns? The first thing we should do here is reiterate what I just said, which is that there is always risk to investing. We'll give an investment idea, but the reality is that the economy and earnings environment are still really strong, as you said, Lauren, and we expect that markets can withstand these risks as long as the economy continues to grow. Exactly right. But for investors with a lower risk tolerance or those who are closer to retirement, there are ways we can think about building more resiliency in a portfolio as these risks mount. Right. And we talked about macro risks for most of the program today. So we ask investors to consider asset classes that tend to provide more stability and income. Investment strategies focused on infrastructure, like direct infrastructure investments or municipal bonds, as well as investments in multi-asset income strategies may be well-suited to leverage long-term megatrends and economic themes that are facing investors today. And for those investors who can be more tactical, who maybe can invest more quickly and aren't thinking necessarily about big megatrends, it's important to keep in mind that with Fed policy on the move, likely soon, interest rates could be on the move soon too. And so we're recommending shorter duration securities and a flexible global allocation in fixed income to account for that potential change. 
Coming up next, it's Jobs Week, and boy, is it an important one. I've said before that I think the Fed needs to see two more strong jobs reports, that means this one and one more, to feel comfortable about reducing the pace of its asset purchases. That's right, tapering. Most expect this Friday's report to be a good one, but if it's too good, that could leave investors concerned about a faster pace of taper. We don't expect that, but we're certainly watching. And as we get closer to Labor Day, I'll just mention a sign that we've talked about before on the program. We're closely watching what schools are doing. We know that reliable child care is an important factor keeping folks out of the labor force right now. If in-person schooling is broadly suspended due to health risk, the labor supply could stay limited. And you know what that means? Higher wages. And with that, more inflation. In a podcast all about risks, that's one we've been keeping a particularly keen eye on. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you all by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website. That's newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. In the meantime, I'm Robert Sarandez. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you soon. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.